God found me. That's my testimony. I didn't know that I needed to be found. I didn't really think of myself as lost. I believed in God. And if you ask me in high school, if I was a Christian, I would have said, well, I'm not a Jew or a Muslim. And uh, I'm a fairly nice person. Now, I was selfish, don't get me wrong, but I was sneaky selfish. And so I looked for ways to advance the goals that I had without necessarily ruffling too many feathers. This series that we begin tonight is the story of testimony, the story of God finding and saving people that couldn't lift a finger to help themselves. And maybe people who did not even know they needed to be saved or to be found. It's based off of that John 9 story of the blind man. Often in the scriptures, blindness is a metaphor as Paul describes unbelievers as being blinded by Satan in their lostness. In that story, Jesus heals a blind man, and the religious leaders begin to interrogate him and ask him questions about the person who healed him. And he says, I don't have information. I only have experience. I know this. I once was blind, and now I see. And we will be exploring testimony. We'll hear from other pastors and we'll hear how God saves unworthy sinners. Now, just some reasons why we would have a series like this. First, we need to be reminded that Christianity is a relationship to be experienced. It's not a religion to be sought after. You know, Christianity is not knowing facts. And coming to church is not about learning more facts about God or improving our morality. Ultimately, Christianity is about a relationship. So we, don't, we need a series like this to be reminded the importance of relationship. We also need to be reminded that we are connected as God's people. We're connected to a common story. Now, each of us has a unique story. It may not be as dramatic as the story that Pastor Barrett read about the man that was delivered from demons. It may not be as miraculous on the surface as this blind man who receives his sight. But every one of us is a miracle if we're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because God has opened our eyes and because we now have a common story to share. And that common story connects us all together. We're also having this series because each of us needs to be reminded how important and what a priority it is for us to tell the story to other people. Jesus said that what will describe you after I've touched you is that you will be a witness 
Being a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ is a call to be a witness. And so every member has a story to tell. Our new vision statement is commending the greatness of God in Jesus Christ to all peoples and all generations. We're to be people who commend, who point, who declare. Now, what is a witness? A witness is someone who has seen something and someone who tells others what they have seen. So we want to grow as storytellers, as witnesses. And then we want to be a place where we welcome those to hear a story. Maybe those who have not been touched by Jesus. We want to create space where we're welcoming those. I think the last thing I would say is that we want to grow our sense of expectation for God to be at work in our lives, to God, for God to be using us. We want to grow our sense of expectation. Now, this is not the first time our church has done something like this. I found a newsletter in my study, a newsletter written by Joseph Severe, pastor of First Presbyterian Church, dated March 15th, 1915. 106 years ago, let me just tell you what Joseph Severe, the pastor, reported in the newsletter to the congregation. Last summer, our open-air services were held outside with great success. At the close of this season, we had evangelistic revival services. And our desire now is to bring a large part of that splendid open-air congregation excitement into our regular Sunday evenings as we realize this fall will include a quartet, some of the members of the orchestra, beautiful music, and we will have the invitation committee set in motion the opportunity to invite hundreds of people from our neighborhood to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each Sunday you'll hear from a pastor, and it'll be a passage that will either illustrate how God was at work in his conversion experience or possibly um, a verse of scripture that is meaningful to him. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, but the verse I'm going to preach on and share tonight is Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is after Jesus' baptism. He's heard from heaven. The Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Think about that. Before Jesus even began his earthly ministry, the Father has declared, you haven't done anything and I'm pleased with you because Christianity is a relationship. It's an extension of the triune love that's shared in the Trinity. But immediately after his baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit. Notice that. The Father speaks that he is loved, and then Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would teach us what it means to live 
on and in and by the very words of God. And thank you, Jesus, that you, that word became material and you came to us to reveal God's glory. And I pray, Father, that as we begin this series, you will teach us the joy of reminding ourselves that we've been found. May we never, ever get over that joyful reality. May we live in that joy and spread that joy. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Two simple points tonight from the text. The first is simply this. Man, mankind, men and women, all men and women, are tempted to search for satisfaction in things other than God. So point number one. Mankind is tempted to search for satisfaction in things other than God. And our enemy, the devil, will tempt us with false promises to tempt us to place our hope in ourselves or in things or anything but God. Second point, true satisfaction and the meaning of life is found only in Jesus Christ and in a relationship with God. True satisfaction is only found in Jesus Christ and in a relationship with God. Now, the text tells us to be alive is to long for life, to be hungry. That metaphor of desire or longing is what it means to be alive. And man desires for his longings to be met He looks outwardly and sometimes he looks inwardly. But this text tells us that those longings can only be satisfied when he looks upwardly, when he looks Godward. You see, hunger and the search for life is what we've all found ourselves searching for. The good life, purpose. I want to matter. I want meaning in my life. Security. I want to be accepted. I want to be connected. I want to belong in relationship. Fulfillment. I want to be happy. Where do these human desires come from? Well, man longs for these desires because God has made us to seek for meaning in life. All of us seeks for meaning in life. And this text says, but man shall not live. Man shall not find that meaning in his own pursuits. Now, the parallel is unmistakable. Our first parents were in a garden, a perfect garden, and a temptation came to them. The evil one offered a false promise, and they believed that false promise. Now, here's Jesus, the second Adam. He's not in a garden. He's in the wilderness, and the tempter comes to him, and Just as Israel had been in the wilderness and God had provided manna. This is a text from Deuteronomy 8 when Jesus says it is written. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 8 where God reminded Israel before they entered the promised land. That God had provided all the physical needs in the wilderness that they might look to him as their God, and to believe and to trust Him. When 
the enemy asked Jesus this question. He was asking Jesus, do you trust your heavenly Father? Do you believe that God can be trusted? I'll ask you tonight, do you believe that God can be trusted? Do you listen to God and believe that if you trust him, you will be satisfied? Jesus speaks of life as found in a relationship. And the evidence that we long for life is this metaphor of hunger. What are you hungry for tonight? Are you hungry for friendship? Do you hunger for love because you're lonely? Do you hunger for a promotion? Some kind of recognition that your life has meaning? Do you hunger for achievement or approval or appreciation? Those hungers below, you might say, our surface hungers. Austrian psychologist Viktor Frankl was a Jew who was in a Nazi concentration camp and he began to notice some people flourished and others floundered in the concentration camp. And as he began to ask them questions, he found out that those that had meaning that could answer why, could deal with just about any difficult how, but those without a clear answer to meaning and why shriveled up and could not fight against the evil tyranny of the Nazis. My hunger and my search for life began in Birmingham, Alabama. I grew up in the 60s and the 70s, and if you know anything about the 60s and 70s in the Deep South, you know that there was lots of trouble taking place culturally. The sexual revolution, where the youth movement began in the late 50s and the 60s, now to the point where free love, sexual expression began, began to be the norm. There was rebellion against the Vietnam War, protest, Cassius Clay, later renamed Muhammad Ali, was put in jail for refusing to serve his country when he was drafted. The civil rights movement was taking place, led by Martin Luther King Jr. And Birmingham was a very difficult place for blacks as there was still much hate and much separation. And in the mainline churches, they were filled with what I call the social gospel. This is this gospel that says, be good and do the right thing and help your neighbor. I did go to church, but I never read my Bible and I never understood the meaning of salvation. I went to a high school that the city had declared was going to have to become integrated. If you've ever seen the movie Woodlawn, it's a movie uh, that was put out just a few years ago about, it's a true story about two high schools, Woodlawn High School and Banks High School. They were famous for a lot of things, but how they dealt with integration and the race uh, riots that took place are part of the story. I attended Banks High School. What made that, those two high schools famous was that they were the best football programs in the state of Alabama. 
and you know how important football is to the state of Alabama. And that year, Banks was the number one team in the nation. They'd won multiple state championships. It's my high school. And when they played Woodlawn, 42,000 people came to a high school football game. It's still a record for um, attendance at a high school game. And football was how you earned your worth as a young man at my high school. Just think about this. That year, 23 seniors signed college scholarships from my high school, 11 to play in the SEC. So we were what you would call a football factory. And my senior year, I was on top of the world, I thought. I was an all-state football player, three-sport letterman, one of the top in the class academically, and had opportunities awaiting me. My best friend was experiencing just the opposite. He was probably the best athlete in the school, but everything had gone wrong for him in every situation. He was benched as the quarterback, and he was benched uh, in basketball, and his girlfriend even broke up with him. And I began to see that we were drifting from one another. He began to spend his time with other people. And we had a big high school basketball tournament, the best teams in the state to come to Birmingham to play. And he told the coach he was going to attend a religious conference instead of play. And that shocked me. I knew that he must really be messed up if he would miss a basketball game and how important that was. When he came back, he asked to meet with me. He began to tell me that God had been seeking him and he had turned to Christ and he was finding joy and the things that were so important to him didn't seem to mean much to him anymore. Now he asked me if I was a Christian. As I said, I told him I was a member of a church, but I never knew what it meant to be a Christian. He'd found meaning in life in a relationship with God. Blaise Pascal, French scientist, said this, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person. It's a God-shaped vacuum. It's so large. That meaning, that desire can only be filled by God. Augustine, a fourth century theologian, said our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. I was restless, but I began to watch his life change. That first friendship with a Christian began to at least make me interested. Second relationship that I saw that changed was my girlfriend. My girlfriend's name was Sandra. And I met Sandra my freshman year of high school. I was 14, she was 13, but my friend said, hey, y'all have the same birthday. My birthday is October the 31st. And so I thought, well, I said, were you born on Halloween? She said, yes. And that's how I met her. And uh, we had one thing in common. We were in love with the same person, me. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you that we dated through high school as long as she continued to love me and allowed me to love me. But, but when it came to the end of high school, I began to be interested in getting to know some other girls. I just forgot to tell Sandra 
that we were broken up. So it didn't go real well when she found out that I was seeing others behind her back. Like I said, I was selfish, but I was sneaky selfish. And she confronted me and we broke up, but her life really began to fall apart. She got so sick that she was hospitalized. And in the hospital, her uncle called her and he said, do you have a Bible? She said, no, but there was a Gideon Bible in the hospital uh, room. She opened the Bible to the verse that he wanted her to read, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to, for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and to give you a hope. And Sandra said that it was as if God was speaking to her and he said, I have a future, I have a hope, I have a plan for you, and it's not a boy, <laughs> it's a relationship with me. And Sandra told her friends that she had given her life to Christ. Her friends were involved with Young Life. They began to take her to the Young Life Bible studies. She went to the Windy Gap retreats, and I began to see Sandra's life change, and I began to see this glow, and I began to see someone who didn't need a boy to be happy. And it made me wonder, where do I stand with God? You know, today more than ever, young people are searching for answers. They're searching upwardly. We're told by researchers that from those that are 15 to 35, they say they believe that answers to life are found through spirituality. Now, they don't say religion because for the most part, they've rejected the institutional church. But 15 to 35-year-olds are hungering for answers, answers upwardly. Global Media Outreach uh, did a survey of websites that present the gospel. And they said during the pandemic this last year, there's been over 2 billion searches. Think about this, 2 billion searches of people searching websites to find the answer, how do I experience eternal life and forgiveness of sins? People all around us are searching for true answers. Point number one, Satan tempts mankind to believe the false promise that we can be satisfied apart from God. Point number two, point number two, true satisfaction in the meaning of life is found in Jesus Christ and is found in a relationship with God. Now, this is not the only time Jesus talked about hunger and thirst. You recall in the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He told a woman at the well in John 4, If you drink from the water that uh, I give you, it will well up within you, and spring unto eternal life. You'll never thirst again. In John 7, he interrupted a Jewish feast right before the priest was going to pour water on the altar. And he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For as the scripture says, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. You see, satisfaction and meaning in life is found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And what we see in this temptation is Jesus is battling evil. Jesus is standing in our place. And Jesus is obeying and trusting God when we 
could not. Now, we know that because Adam was our representative. We know when Adam disobeyed, he represents what each of us would have done if we were standing in that same situation. And yet, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, he trusted God. You might ask, well, why would Jesus be allowed to be tempted? We know that when we're tempted, God uses that to build our spiritual muscles. But why, why was Jesus tempted? Well, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 tells us why Jesus was tempted. Listen to this. It says, since therefore the children share the flesh and blood of Jesus, likewise he partook in the same things in order that he might save us, that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is, the devil. You see, a great exchange takes place when you become a Christian. And what it means is that you receive what Jesus gives in terms of benefit, and he takes and stands in your place, the place that you fail. The Bible tells us that Jesus lived the life that we could not live. And then he died the death that we deserved. And he offers in salvation life. He offers eternal life in salvation. Jesus Christ, when his life touches your life, it changes your heart. It fills your heart with joy. Your heart becomes filled with gratitude and generosity. Why does your heart become filled with gratitude and generosity? Because that's Jesus' heart. Jesus' heart, when it touches your heart, changes you. I was thinking about those who famously been changed and their testimonies have been told over and over. Augustine, I mentioned, was a sexual addict and he was a pagan. But his mother, Monica, was a believer. She visited him. She prayed for him. She asked him to go hear Ambrose. Ambrose was the bishop of Carthage. And just to please his mother, he went to hear the bishop. And he went back again. And he went back again. And he talks about when God touched his heart, his heart began to be full of joy. John Wesley was a failed missionary. He'd come to America, and he and his brother had been so disappointed in their lack of power and confidence. As they went home to England on a ship, they were riding with some Moravian missionaries that were also on the ship. Storms hit, and John and Charles were so fearful, fearful that they would die. But these Moravians were singing. They were joyful. And they began a discussion. John Wesley began to meet with the Moravian pastor. And on Aldersgate Street, he tells his testimony. The pastor was reading Luther's introduction to the book of Romans. And he heard him say, the just shall live by faith. John Wesley said, my heart became strangely warmed when the joy of the Lord began to fill his heart. I'll ask you, have you been touched by the joy of the Lord? Gratitude and generosity will flow from you. C.S. Lewis 
atheist. He began to investigate Christianity, and he knew the claims of Christ were true, but he called himself the most reluctant convert. He bowed his knees, and he said, yes, Jesus, you are Lord. But what happened next, he didn't expect. Joy began to fill his heart. He described his conversion as being surprised by joy. Well, I'll tell you, I was in my dorm room my freshman year in college, and my friend who had prayed for me, my girlfriend who was praying for me, had given me little gospel tracts. And I noticed that those gospel tracts had verses of Scripture in them. And so I had been uh, given a Bible. My mother bought me a Bible when I went off to college. I, th I guess she thought I needed some protection. But I had a Bible at least. And I began to read those verses. And I want you to know that Jesus found me. The thing that was so amazing is those little tracts said that Christianity is experienced when you receive Jesus by faith. And faith plus nothing equals salvation. I couldn't believe it. I thought, I kept reading in the scriptures, I kept thinking, surely this is not true. Surely God's not going to just give Christianity away. Surely it's not this easy. But I want you to know, I got down on my knees that night and I said, God, if you're real, I trust you. And I've never been the same. Joy filled my heart and I've wanted to be a witness. I've wanted to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. My friend invited me to his church, Briarwood Presbyterian Church, and I met the pastor, Frank Barker. Every Sunday, they open the Bible, and they teach from the Bible. I'd never heard sermons from the Bible that I knew of. I found out later that his life verse was Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I want you to know any time that I could talk about the Bible, I wanted to talk about the Bible. Any time there was church, I wanted to be at church. I found out that church, some churches have services in the morning and the evening, and they study a Bible passage in the morning and a different one in the evening. Why wouldn't you go to church to hear the Bible taught? I heard that churches meet an hour before service and they study the Bible in something called Sunday school. I never wanted to miss an extra hour to study the Bible. I began to memorize the Bible. I memorized large portions of the Bible, books of the Bible. Jeremiah said this, I, thy word I found and I ate it and it became the joy and the delight of my life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life or career, but I did know this. I was going to spend the rest of my life reading, studying, memorizing, and sharing the Word of God. When God touches you, when He falls on you, you become a grateful person. All I want is for my Savior to know how grateful I am.
You become a generous person. You want to share his love. You want to give your money to be used to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You want near and far to tell the story. My chains fell off. My heart went free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. You know, in this pastor's letter, Joseph Severe says, What a summer it was. We had 48 professions of faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I'm praying that the Lord will give us 145 conversions. Now, I lack faith. I'm not putting a time limit on that. I don't, I don't know when that time horizon expires, but I want you to join me. Could God do that? Of course he could do that. Would God do that through us? The Campus Outreach um, team has a retreat next weekend. They're inviting unbelievers to join them in a retreat. We need to be praying. We need to pray for our youth ministry, High Life, our children's ministry. We need to pray wherever we go. I talked to a member this morning who told me that, he said, Pastor, I know, that you, I know you're going to be encouraged by this, but every time I meet someone, I give them a gospel track, and I, tr I, I seek every day to share my testimony. Well, I don't want this to be a burden to you, but I want to remind you, faith plus nothing equals eternal joy. Gratitude, generosity. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for finding me. Didn't even know that I was lost. I didn't know how lost I was. And I didn't know how little joy I actually had. Thank you for the joy of knowing you. Thank you for the joy of sharing you. Make us a grateful and generous church. Lord, if there's a high school student whose heart's not full of joy, would you touch that heart? If there's one whose heart has become apathetic, cynical, distant, wandering, would you bring that heart back and fill that heart with joy? And Father, if you would see fit, would you use us as you used my friend and my wife, would you use us, Lord, to share and show the beauty of your gospel? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.